Good morning. If you have a Bible, please go to Luke chapter 12. We're going to read a couple of verses together here in just a moment. I want to start with, you know, I saw one study that says that 53 million Americans use a treadmill. A treadmill. I find that ironic because the treadmill uh, was invented as a torture device. (laughs) And I'm not making that up. It was invented over 200 years ago in Britain for prisons where the inmates would have to walk on the first treadmills and they had kind of cubicles with it. And it's a mill, so as they would walk, they would mill corn and wheat and things like that. And then the prison guards, just to be mean, would just make them walk on it when it wasn't milling anything, just to wear them out. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how that I think much of life feels that way, doesn't it? Sometimes we can find ourselves feeling that way, at least, in life. We feel like there's a whole lot of energy being exerted, <laughs> but we don't think we're going anywhere. And sometimes we can think about human history that way, can't we? We can think in terms of, you know, well, there's another, you know, going to be another presidential election coming up, and it's going to be very contentious. Or there's another war breaking out somewhere. Or there's another part of the world where Christians are, are being killed once again. Or there's another country rising up that wants to be the next Babylon or Rome. And many times we can just think of human history as Well, we're just kind of going in circles, doing the same things over and over again. Is this really going anywhere? But for the Christian, we have to remember Jesus' words, and we have to remember that human history is actually moving to a point. It's moving to a pinnacle, and that pinnacle is the return of Christ. And what we see Jesus teaching us here in Luke chapter 12, these are hard words, just like last week, just like Wednesday night. These are hard words, but what Jesus is teaching us here is that all of this is going to come to a point. It's all going to come to a head. And the end of that is going to be his return for his church in that moment when all things are made right. And while this is a hard word this morning that Jesus has for us, I think there's a a very clear challenge to us. And so if you don't mind, if you would please stand out of respect for God's word. And I want to read just a couple of verses. We'll look at many more in Luke 12, starting in verse 35. Luke 12, 35 says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door for him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Jesus is going to be explaining to us in this text, and as he's beginning here, that there will be this moment in human history in which he will return. And the question is, is how do we live prepared for that moment? How do we live prepared for that moment When he comes back, it was promised and prophesied that his first coming would happen. And that happened in real time and real space in human history. And it's been promised and prophesied of his second coming. And that will happen. 
in real time and real space in human history. And the question is, how do we live prepared for that moment? Well, Jesus begins by saying in verse 35, he says two things in particular. Stay dressed for action, number one, and keep your lamps burning. And this is so very important. This is important imagery that he's using here. The first one is stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action. Again, now this is an echo of the Exodus. Go back to Exodus 12. When the people of Israel were to stay dressed, the old uh, King James language was to gird your loins. They were to stay dressed, ready for that moment when God would call them out and he would take them out of the land of Egypt. And now Jesus is using the same language for us, that we are to stay dressed, we are to be ready for that moment when he returns and takes us home as well. But this image of stay dressed, though, is not talking about something external, as we see illustrated in the Exodus story. This image of stay dressed is something internal. He's talking about the internal qualities, the internal characteristics that we are to have. And we see Paul use this language in Colossians chapter 3. Paul uses the images that, that we are to clothe ourselves. There are some things that we are to put off. There are some things that we are to put on. And in Colossians 3.12, he says, put on, clothe yourself then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, he says. Notice, these are internal qualities that we are to put on. And for a Christian to stay dressed means that we are to put on the character of Christ. We are to put on the qualities of Christ. Now, to put that on, we must understand that that is a gift of God's grace to us. It is an impartation of Christ's character into our life. But that is the image. We are to put those things on. So many times we try to actually act like Jesus without actually knowing him. And when that happens, we end up becoming very religious, sure. But that's about it. There's no heart change at all. And Jesus says, I want you to internally stay dressed, be prepared for this moment. But he uses another image, and that Im image is of lamps burning. Now, Jesus has already taught us about lamps and about the light in Luke chapter 11. And in Luke chapter 11, once again, Jesus is seen as the one who is the light of the world, right? And then he tells us, therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. In verse 36, he says, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part darkness, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And again, Jesus is saying this reference to the lamps is that we are to have the presence of Christ indwelling in us because it takes holy habitation of Christ's presence for there to be holy application, his character in our life. It takes both of those things working together. And again, if we try, if we try to act like Jesus without actually knowing him, without his presence indwelling us and empowering us to do so, we may be very religious, but it's not gonna get us where we really want to be. Now, in light of the fact that Jesus is going to return, and now he's telling his followers that there is this internal dwelling of the Spirit that produces the character of Christ in us. We're to stay dressed. We're to keep the lamp burning. In light of that, though, he says, let me tell you why. And the why here is very important, and he uses an image for it. He says, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast. 
so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Notice that, when he comes and when he knocks. And some of you know the verse, the famous verse about knocking. It's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. What Jesus is saying here, he says, be like the servants. They're ready, they're prepared for when the master comes home, when he comes home and you hear the knock at the door, you are ready to open the door. And then he goes on in verse 37 and says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and recline, and them recline at table. And he will come and he will serve them. The image that Jesus gives in Luke 12 is that one day we will hear a knock. The master will come. And then when we invite him in, there will be this feast. And again, this is the same image that Jesus uses in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. When he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and him with me. This image that we see here is that we must be ready, that Jesus is going to return. He is the master of the house that is going to come, and one day he is going to knock on your door, so to speak. The image of knocking simply refers to the fact that one day we will meet him face to face. Now, we say that, and in our mind, we go, yeah, yeah, I get that, okay. I, I kind of understand that as a dogma, as a doctrine, that yes, okay, I believe in Christ's return. But let it sink in for a moment. One day, one day, and here's the thing, that day is not too far off, my friend. One day, we will hear And we will see him. We will actually see the one who created everything out of nothing with the Father and the Spirit. We will actually see the one who was raised on the third day. We're going to stand before him. That is mind blowing. One day, Jesus says, I'm going to knock. I'm going to knock. And what Jesus is doing in his first followers, what he's doing for us today in this text, is he is creating this sense of urgency that we live our life in a certain way. We live our life in a certain way. Always reminded, always in the forefront of our mind, that one day, and that day could be today, whether he comes or I go to him, where I will be face to face with him. And the truth is, is, if we knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, like we would live our lives very differently, wouldn't we? I mean, we really would. Uh, yes, everybody just do this and agree with me. Yes, yes, we would. I mean, we would become the most generous people ever. Like we would give forgiveness to people who we are right now withholding it from. We really would, because we know Jesus said, hey, I can't forgive you until you forgive your brother or sister, right? Like all of a sudden, we would just start forgiving everybody under the sun, everybody we've been holding these grudges against for years. I mean, if we knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, like some of you may actually like give money in the offering plate. I'm like, seriously, seriously. Yeah, I know. Some of you just looked down at your feet. You got caught. Anyway, but seriously, we would just live so different. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, 
family would matter so much more. And all those little petty things that you're right now mad at your spouse about, all those little things, it it wouldn't even matter at all. The laundry wouldn't matter anymore. That fight about the dishes wouldn't matter. Like None of that would matter at all. And then, not only that, our hobbies, oh, we wouldn't care. There would be this total reordering of our life if we knew he was coming tomorrow, right? I mean, I mean, we, we'd start confessing sin like crazy. I mean, I mean, just all these things would start happening. And Jesus is saying, that's how I want you to live. I want you to understand, not out of fear, not out of fear, but I want you to understand that you gotta be dressed, you gotta be ready. The lamp needs to be burning because at any moment, you're gonna hear the knock. At any moment is gonna be your moment to stand before him. And the question is, are we ready for that moment? Some of you are like, man, I wish I would have skipped this morning. (laughs) But it's true. It's true. You know, whenever you like preach through books of the Bible like this, you come to these passages and you're like, man, I'd rather talk about something else. But it's true. It's so true. Are we ready for that moment? So Jesus looks at him and he says this in verse 38. He says, and if he comes, again, the parable, if he comes in the second watch or the third watch, now, that the Romans split time by four watches, the Jews split it by three watches. So when he says the third watch, he says, even if he delays all night long, right? If he comes in a second or the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Right here he says, that's, that, that's what he, how he wants to find us. He wants to find us awake. Oh, that image is so important. We get this uh, amazing passage in Ephesians 5, 14 and following where Paul says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then he says this, look carefully then how you walk, that means how you live your life, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. It's just another way of saying we would live our lives completely different if we knew Jesus was coming tomorrow. We would want to be wise. We would want to make the best use of every single second until that moment. And again, Jesus is creating that urgency in us. And he's saying, yes, live that way now. Stay awake. Stay awake. We all know what it's like to be tired. We all know what it's like to be drowsy. Some of you are drowsy right now during the sermon. We we all know what that's like, don't we? And we know what it's like to have to just fight off, because we got to stay awake just to fight off the sleep and how easy it is just to give in and to rest. Just rest. Let yourself fall asleep. What Jesus is saying is don't just give in to what is easy. Don't just give in to what feels comfortable. Remember when Jesus was on his way to the cross in Matthew 26, he goes with some of his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he he asks them, he says, my soul is in agony. Would you just stay up and pray with me for a little bit? He goes off, pours his heart out to the Father, and he comes back to the disciples. And, And in verse 40, we see they're asleep. And Jesus says to Peter, So could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not be, you you may not enter a temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, yes, but the flesh is weak. See, the call of Jesus here to stay awake, the call of Ephesians 5 to stay awake is to not give in to the flesh. Don't just do the easy thing. Stay dressed, keep the lamp burning, stay awake. And then he tells them to be ready. Be ready. Notice what he says in verse 39, but, th- but know this, 
that if the master of the house had known at that hour that a thief was coming, he would not have left the house to be broken into. And here we get another image of Jesus' second coming, right? In 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul uses this image. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, he says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And here Jesus is teaching this point in Luke 12 that, that, that Christ's return to this earth is going is to be instantaneously. And we're not going to know when it's going to happen. And so he says, the conclusion there in verse 40 is, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And do you see what Jesus is saying to them? Stay dressed. Keep the lamp burning. Because one day, and you don't know when that day is, I will come knocking. So stay awake. There's going to be a sudden arrival. And the question is, are you ready? He says, stay ready. Be ready for that moment. And the, and the second coming of Christ should not create fear in the heart of a believer. An awakened soul longs for the master of the house, longs for the king of kings and lord of lords to come and make things right. He says, are you ready for that? Now, I love Peter because in verse 41, Peter looks at Jesus. He's teaching this. He looks at Jesus and says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for like all people? Like, who is this for? So Jesus launches into another one. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household and give him their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is a servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Jesus here is refer referring to the master of the house, the master servant, because the master servant was the master steward. And the master steward had a lot of power in the first century. Someone who was over the house, like the chief butler, if you will, had a lot of power because they had a lot of knowledge about the master's house. And that's what Jesus is referring to here, this servant who's put over the possessions, right? And Jesus' response back to Peter when Peter's saying, who is this parable for? Jesus' response back to Peter is, if you want to be a faithful and wise manager, a faithful and wise steward, then this is for you. But there's another choice. There's, a, there's an alternative. And that's to be an unfaithful and unwise steward. He starts unpacking that in verse 45. He says, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And he will, listen to this, cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Now remember, this is a parable. Jesus is telling an exaggerated story to tell and make a simple point. And what Jesus is saying in this parable is that I'm calling people to be faithful and wise stewards of what I am giving them. But there is another option, and that is to be unfaithful and unwise, and my friends, there are consequences for that. That's his point. And so Jesus gives two explanations of this parable that he just gave. We see the first one in verse 47, beginning of verse 48. He says, And that servant who knew 
his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. So he just explains to Peter and those listening what he said. And at that moment, Peter goes, I don't get it, Jesus. So Jesus explains again. By the way, that's not in the Bible. (laughs) Don't quote me on that. But Jesus explains it again, second explanation. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand much more. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is that our responsibility is to steward the knowledge and the grace that we have been given. Now you say knowledge and grace about what? What is it that we are stewarding until he returns? What is that? Look at the parable. We're stewarding the master's will in the master's house to the master's glory. Those three things. The master's will in the master's house to the master's glory. The master's will. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? Fact. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. That's who will enter the kingdom of heaven. Our job is to steward God's will in our life every single day. Now, we like to parse things and personalize everything. I'm not talking about some subjective idea about what you think God's will is for you. I'm talking about what is, it, what is God's will for every born-again Christian. That is what he's referring to. What is God's objective will for every Christ follower? That is ours to steward. We, we like to personalize again and individualize everything. I'm trying to you know, find God's personal will for my life, and it's so unique from everybody else. Yes, God has a will for your life, absolutely. But he's talking about it in its most basic form of what it means to be a Christ follower that is, applies to every single one of us, every single one of us. We have to know what God requires of us, what God is calling us to, and then we walk into that because we're stewarding the master's will in our life. And we're doing that in the master's house. Now you may say, where's the house? What house? Are we in the house right now? No. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Do you not know that your body is the oikos, you're the house, the temple, the sanctuary of God's Holy Spirit. We are to steward the master's will in the master's house, the house that he has given you, the house that will experience the resurrection and be renewed for all of eternity, the body. Meaning we are to live out God's will in our life What is God's will for a Christ follower, a true Christ follower? We're to live that out in our life. And we do all of that for the master's glory. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 does say, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit 
within you whom you have from God? And then it says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's like building your house on the rock. Remember that image? And not the sand. Building your life on the rock and not the sand. What we are to steward until he comes is the master's will in the master's house for the master's glory. Remember the treadmill? How could we forget? Some people would call the treadmill 200 years ago an atonement device because the prisoners were having to work and atone for their sins by walking on it hour after hour. Part of what I would say to you is that there is no atonement device, no atonement device on this planet. There is no way you can work off your sin. But what Jesus does is he comes and he says, I'm gonna die in your place for your sins and all of my righteousness I'm gonna put on you and I'm gonna take all of your sin off of you. That's what Martin Luther calls the great exchange. And people who've experienced that are people who desperately desire to live dressed and ready with the lamp burning, wide awake, waiting for him. The question that we have to ask ourselves, because this thing's going somewhere. This is not just a treadmill going nowhere. The thing we have to ask ourselves is, are we ready? Are we ready? Guess what? You got up this morning. You may or may not have had breakfast. It may or may not have been a good breakfast. You got dressed, and you drove all the way here, even fought some traffic on Atlanta Highway for me to ask you that one question. And the question is, are you ready? Are you really ready? Or is there some dressing you need to do? Is there some fanning into flame you need to do? Is there some waking up you need to do? Because we all know, if we knew it was coming tomorrow, today would be radically different. And every day when we wake up and we look ourselves in the mirror, that is the question, am I ready today? Am I ready today? And only you can answer that. No one can answer that for you. The question is, are you ready? You're gonna meet him face to face. Either he's gonna come back in your lifetime or you're gonna go see him one day. And nobody knows when that day is. The question is, are you ready? What would it be to live ready for you? Father, I come in this moment. And Lord, we are all aware this is a very weighty text. But the calling is so clear. Jesus said it so plainly in verse 40, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so, Lord, I pray for every one of us in this room 
watching online on television, or wherever we are, help us be able to say with confidence, we're ready. Come now, Lord Jesus, we're ready. We're dressed and clothed, we're ready. The lamp is burning, we're ready. We're awake, we're ready. And Lord, I pray that we would not pass up this opportunity to be honest with ourselves in those places where we're not ready. Lord, by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us just get ready? Would you help us get things in order? Not that we atone for our sins, but because your son has already died for ours. I pray we'd be ready. Help us be a, a, a people who is ready. 